on Victory Church. How you doing this morning? Let's try it again. I know it's a rainy day. I know you get a little, little lazy with the rain. Let's try it again. Victory Church, how you doing this morning? There we go. Sounds a little bit better. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this incredible church. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say welcome and say thank you for checking us out. We're, we're about four things here at Victory. We want to help people know God through our Sunday morning experience. We want to help people find freedom through our small groups that will be launching, uh, relaunching in the fall. We want to uh, help people discover their purpose through Growth Track, as you heard Malcolm talk about, and help people make a difference through our dream team. And I just want to take a moment. I just got to celebrate our dream team. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of passing through the hallway and saw some of the guys out in the parking lot with the raincoats as they're operating the parking ministry. And I know we've got a great team right now watching over our kids and leading our kids. And I keep hearing stories from kids who just, they want to come back to church and the production team. And then when you guys walked in the building today, all the first impression team that's meeting you, shaking your hands, opening doors. Can we just give it up for our dream team real quick? Just put your hands like this right here. Thank you, dream team. We're looking in case people don't get to be in service. Thank you, dream team, for what you're doing. So many great things are happening. When you leave today, we're going to put a calendar in your hand of some opportunities for connection until our small groups get ready to launch. Um, It's also going to have some opportunities to serve the community. And so when you see that, you'll see that if you have any more questions, just shoot the email and we'll get you all the information we can get you over the next couple of months. But there's one announcement I really want to take a second to talk about, and that's Mother's Day, okay? For all of you men, May 13th is Mother's Day. That's important to remember. Go ahead and download that. And let me just give you another thing. Your wife, if, if you have kids, your wife is a mother and she needs to be celebrated. Amen? All right, right. women said it. Um, Mother's Day is going to be a special day. First of all, we get to honor our mothers, which is going to be an incredible weekend. Second, we're going to be doing baby dedications for the first time as a church. And there's already, I think, five babies signed up to be dedicated, so that's going to be a special moment. And then we're going to have a guest speaker that morning. My wife is going to bring the word in this place this morning, or that morning. And if you know my wife, she is, she's way better at everything I do than me. And so it's going to be a great time. I can't wait to hear what God's downloaded in her spirit for, for us on that day. And so good things are happening. If you got your Bibles, do me a favor, open up to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, we'll have it on the screen. If you look on your phone, that's cool too. Google that. Some of you might be saying, I think we were in 2 Kings chapter 4 last week. Maybe he's kind of forgotten what he's doing. No, we're currently in a series called Greater Things, and that series is based off John 14, 12, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the very work that I've been doing and greater things, for I have gone to be with the Father. And so we've been following the life of a man named Elijah, a prophet, and we've been walking through his life. He was living the good life, and we've been following him along to what's going to end up being greater as that process goes. Every chapter, his life gets greater and greater and greater. And what we're looking for is the principles and the life lessons and the attributes of him during that trip so that we ourselves can experience an upgrade in our lives and go from good to great. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so we started off by looking at Elijah and kind of introducing the thought that, hey, in order for you to really grasp great, you've got to let go of good, right? You know, in order for you to go to great, you let go of good because good is the biggest enemy of great. And then last week, we kind of looked at an inter, uh, interaction between him and a widow dealing with some, a jar of oil. And we talked about how everything you need to be great, God's already got in your house. God's already put it inside of you. All you've got to do is become aware of it and let it come out. We made this statement. I loved it. The devil cannot remove the greater that God's already put in you. All he can do is get you to discount it. And so it's really important that we become aware of what God's doing. And this morning, we're going to follow Elijah as he leaves that house and goes to another house. And an interaction happens with a tragedy 
And I think it's important for us to come into this story because a lot of times we get frustrated when we learn that our road to greater includes pain. I think we often believe that as soon as we start to really follow God, our life should become a lot easier, that we should never face trial, we should never face tribulations, that we should be protected from the problems of life, and that's not really the case. And we learn that even though you're on the road to greater, there are still going to be moments of struggle. There's still going to be moments of pain. And I want to look at this story this morning, and I want to introduce this, a greater strategy for struggle. A greater strategy for struggle. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 15, let me set you up. So you got, if you've got your place we're going to read, I want to kind of set up the story with where we're at. So Elijah is doing his ministry trip, and he ends up at this couple's house, and they make him food, and they kind of let him get a shower, you know, let him get prepped for what he's going to do next. And he keeps on coming back to this house time and time and time and time again. And every time they make him dinner, they let him take a shower, you know, watch a little TV, Wheel of Fortune, whatever it is that's going on in his life. And then all of a sudden the woman says, you know what, he's been coming so much, I think we should build him on like a little room, right? Like a little extra room. Let's get him a couch. Let's get him a bean bag, a lava lamp. You know what I mean? Let's, let's set him up a little place so that when he's traveling, he can kind of come home. And so they do that. And, and Elijah is so thankful that he says, I want to do something for them. And so he begins to have a conversation with his servant, with his buddy, and they both acknowledge that this couple does not have kids, And so Elijah then thinks, oh, this would be great. Let's make a promise, a prophetic proclamation that she's going to have a child, all right? And that's where we're going to pick up. Verse 15, watch how this goes. So he tells his servant, he says, look, call her, call her, get her in here. So the servant calls her, and she comes and stands in the doorway. Yes, prophet, yes, Elijah, what, what can I do for you? And Elijah says, about this time next year, so in about 12 months, nine months and some change, you will hold a son in your arms right here. That's an awesome promise. And so you would expect, we've got a lot of people, we've learned to multiply our church the organic way. And so we have a lot of people who are having babies in the church, right? The Bible says be fruitful and multiply, and we took it serious. And so babies are coming in left and right. So everybody kind of knows when you get news of a baby, it's like, ah! It's so great. Let's have a party, Pinterest, you know, kind of thing. And, and here's what she says. I thought this was interesting. No, my Lord. I said, man, she must know what it's like to have a three-year-old. <laughs> You're going to have a son. No, keep him. I don't want him. And so it's not really the reaction you would expect from her. But then we really get kind of a clear idea of what's going on in her life when she says, look, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Here's what that means. I want children. I have been trying for children. I have been believing and praying for children, and I still don't have children. So don't play with me. Don't say things if you don't mean them because you're going to get my hopes up and you're going to let me down. So don't say that. That was her response. And then this is interesting, verse 17. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah told her she would. Wow, isn't God good? He's great. Keep reading. The child grows up, and one day the child is out with his father, who's with the reaper, so he's out in the field working. And the son says to his father, my head, my head, I got a headache, something's not right. 
And his father recognizes that something's not right, and he tells the servant, quick, carry him to his mother. Get him to his mother. And so the servant lifts him up and carries him to his mother, and the boy sets on the mother's lap until noon, and there it is. Then he died. What? What do you do when it seems like every time you pursue greater, your situation gets worse? What do you do when you're tracking towards the greatness and the promise of greater and you run right into a wall of tragedy and pain? Better yet, what do you do when God gets your hopes up? What do you do when you have someone in your family who's sick and you've been praying for them and they start to kind of make that positive turn and you start being able to, you know, really rejoice in the faithfulness of God and then two months later they pass? What do you do when you've been praying for your marriage and you and your spouse really seem to start making some progress and next thing you know it just takes a real hard right turn? What do you do when you've been putting out resumes and you're reaching out and all of a sudden somebody calls you back and you get on the phone and you start to have all this excitement and hope only to find out you're not qualified for the job? What do you do when you've been tithing and giving and doing all you can to kind of get back in front of your finances because you've been behind them? And right when you start to get kind of a level ground, all of a sudden in comes the unexpected bill. What do you do when it seems like God gets your hopes up? And what do you do? Because, listen, for the past couple weeks, we've been having a lot of fun talking about how much God has greater planned for us. And if we're not careful, we'll leave out of here all excited about it and then be shocked when we run into tragedy or pain. And I want to help you learn this morning that pain is not a detour to the road to greater. It's a landmark. And the best way I felt like I could do that this morning, because sermons can bring help but testimonies heal. The Bible actually says that if you want forgiveness, go to God, and if you want healing, go to God's people. And so I thought it'd be, I asked a friend of mine, I said, hey, would you be willing to share a story that happened in your life where I feel like really relates to pursuing greater only to run into tragedy? And so I want to invite Brian Hogwood to the stage. Many of you are familiar with Brian. If you're visiting with us for the first time, Brian's on the executive staff, and normally at the end of service you would meet him because he would close out the service. Uh, me and Brian met when I was in high school, and we became instant best friends and, and did life together for a few years, and then we kind of went on separate ways and did ministry. And so uh, he's a great communicator, loves the Lord, and you're going to hear a lot about that. But there's something that went on in his life that I think really parallels with this lady in this story. And I thought that this could really make this story real to you, and it'd be better for you to hear it as a testimony than as a sermon. So would you welcome Brian for me? Louder, louder. No, just joking. Um, you know, the pastor scripture that uh, pastor just read is, is powerful. And we've, we've had the opportunity as a family over and over again to relive this particular passage. And the reason... Uh, for that is because life happens, and things come and things go, and so when pastor asked me if I would do this, I was 100% okay, but I want to be honest with you, it's a very sensitive subject for my family, because what we went through was very traumatic, it was very tough, it was very challenging, and sometimes you don't feel like you're going to make it through when you're in the moment. It's great when it's over and you stand on a stage and be able to share a testimony, but when you're going through it in the moment, it doesn't feel like it's ever going to end, and maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you're in something right now, or you've been in something before where you felt like, Man, is this really going to be okay? Am I really going to make it, make it out? And so in this particular 
uh, instance, we had been pastoring for around nine or ten years at the time, and we had moved from state to state where a pastor stayed in, in the location where we, in Memphis, where we were raised and stayed at one church for 13 years. We had the privilege of going around, and we spent time in Florida and time in Michigan and time in Texas, and then this was Green Bay. We were in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we were, uh, go Pat, go. Woo! Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about, Jimmy. That's what I'm talking about. And so uh, we, were, we were there, and um, we had moved there because some friends of ours had asked us to become a part of the church there. We had been pastoring, and they said, hey, we want you to come here and do youth ministry. And so we were doing that. We, we made the move. We made the transition. We felt like it was a good thing. And when we got there, what they saw in us and what we trusted in them uh, was that, that we needed to go to re- uh, receive counseling. And it wasn't because there was anything happening that was immoral. Our marriage wasn't on the rocks. I mean, things seemed pretty good. Um, but from their perspective and sometimes from the outside, looking in, you can see things differently. And so where we were standing, we couldn't see anything. But where they were, they said, hey, you need to go do this. And the reason for that was because we had been a part of several churches. And some of these churches were large churches. Some of them were small churches. But nonetheless, some of them had some major issues, and we had been dealing with with people. And instead of just dealing with people and counseling people and loving on people and then working on self, we just focused on other people and never really worked on ourselves. And they said, so here's here's the deal. I know you moved all the way across the country to be a part of this, but until you go get this counseling that we've already received and we went through and we benefited from it, we're not going to allow you to work on staff which infuriated me at first, which made me so angry because I moved all the way there to be a part of something. And we had already started it. We had already begun youth pastoring and doing services, and we were already up on stage and doing announcements, and we were already a part. So I was Pastor Brian in everyone's eyes. So coming to church and doing nothing was very challenging because then they would always say, hey, why are you not up there? Why are you not doing this? And so nonetheless, that was us saying we're going to take time And then that was us saying it's over as far as ministry. And the reason for that was because we we knew that if we went into counseling going, we're doing this just to get back into ministry, it probably wouldn't work out well. We wouldn't be honest and we wouldn't do it the right way. And so at that moment, it was kind of like the woman in the story, in my opinion, where she says, you know what, don't don't try to give me a child or, you know, no, I'm good. It's over. I can't do that anymore. I'm fine. That was us in that moment. We were like, no, we're good. But I tell you what, an abs- a year later, once we graduated this class, it, it took an, almost an entire year of us going every single Sunday for three hours, Erica in one class, me in a different class, and, and it opened up. It changed how we viewed things, how we viewed life, how we viewed our kids. I mean, it was the best thing I could have possibly done in my entire life. And we were doing the right thing, and, and we felt like greater was coming from it. I mean, literally, we were one week away. That coming Sunday, uh, before we got the news that changed our life forever, was, uh, was that we were going to be back on staff. We were back in our regular roles. My wife was on the worship team. She was back on the stage singing. I was going to be back on the platform, being able to communicate and speak and encourage and challenge. And, and, and then... I was at work, and I got a phone call from my wife. And this is what pastor's talking about. When, when you're pursuing things and things are going well, I mean, we spent an entire year focusing just on self. And we knew that we were in a good and healthy place. And then my wife calls me, and at that time, we owned a gym in Green Bay. Don't judge me. I gained 30 pounds over the last couple of years. I don't own a gym anymore. I'm going to get it off. Just relax. Okay, so I owned a gym. I was doing personal training at the time. Yes, and so that's too hard of laughing, okay? You know what, y'all? That's not nice. And so we, we got the, I got the phone call, and she said, hey, you know, can you, 
can you come home? And I came, I went home, and um, we found out in that moment that something had been taking place without our knowing, and um, it involved our kids. And be honest with you, I'm not going to share a lot of detail because um, as a family, we're not ready yet to share all the details, but I want you to know it was of a sexual nature. And at that moment, we knew our kids' innocence had been robbed. And we, at first, it's anger and fear and frustration. And um, you, you don't know where to turn when something hits you like that, when it's unexpected. And, and it, it's, a, it's almost as if, um, Michael Todd said this, he's a pastor, he said, the thing that gets you the worst is the punch you don't see coming. And it hit so hard that in that moment, Erica and I, even that night, I mean, obviously there was a lot that went on during that day as we were asking questions and trying to get, you know, uh, our kids to be honest and tell us the truth as to what had happened and how long it had happened and who it had happened with and all those kinds of things that you're just trying to, and they're afraid and they don't know what to say, they don't know how to respond, and you're just trying to say, I love you and I care for you and I just want to be here for you and, and it's going to be okay, and in the back of your mind you're like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. Like if I could be honest with you, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be all right. And so we laid in bed, my wife and I, that night, and it was dark, and we we're crying. We've cried for hours at this point, probably the lowest and the darkest moment, not, not probably, the absolute lowest and darkest moment we've ever lived in our lives, because in that moment, we felt like we were inadequate parents. We felt like, how did we not know? How did we not see it? Where were we at? What was our responsibility? Were we negligent? How negligent were we? And then it turned from that to absolute anger at God. God, why would you allow this to happen? If you love us, and if you love these kids, you love our children, which are your children too, why would you let this happen to them? They're so hurt. They're so broken right now. Why would you do this? And I'll tell you this. I don't know all the answers, but I do know this. That God loves you so much. And that when you're broken, and when you're crying, and when you're hurting, He's broken and He's crying with you. You see it in Scripture. When Lazarus dies, you have Mary and Martha, and they're crying over the loss of their brother. And Jesus shows up, and Lazarus is already dead, and yet what happens? Jesus shows up, and he cries with them. Not because he doesn't know he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Not because he doesn't know that he's going to take the hogwoods through this situation and bring us out on the other side healthier and better and stronger than we were before with a testimony to share so other people can be challenged and encouraged as well. Not, he, he knows all that stuff. He's not surprised by anything that happened. He knows all that stuff. But he cries with you because he knows you're hurting right now, in that moment. And he cares about you in that moment, right there, where you're hurting and you're broken. And he says, I know, and I'm with you. You see... Bad things happen to good people, and that's just reality because we live in a broken world. We're born into sin, and where there's selfishness, there's going to be people doing things that make them happy but don't make others happy. And that's just a reality. So then what do we do now? That, that's the real thing. Like, what do you do now that you know this, now that you're experiencing this? What do you, what's the next day look like? Well, I can tell you this much. Well, everything got changed up. Nothing was the same again. 
We had to go to the sheriff's office and file a report. That was hard. We didn't know what we were getting into. You know how scary it is to go somewhere and have to talk to people who you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to do. And the worst part was going to CPS and talking to CPS. And the reason we had to go there is because we're parents and it's our responsibility to report things. But also as pastors, we're, we are responsible for reporting these types of things. And so I was negligent on two sides if I didn't say something. But I didn't know what CPS was going to do. You know how, how long it took me to actually pick up the phone and call CPS? Because I was afraid they were going to take my kids from me. You've been negligent, so they're going to take your kids from you. That's what I kept hearing in my heart and in my spirit. And that was just the enemy because when I actually I prayed enough and spent enough time talking to enough people in my life that, that I trusted, they said, you've got to make this phone call, you've got to do it, or you've got to go in there, you've got to talk to them, you've got to report this, and you've got to just deal with what comes, and it's going to be okay. I made the phone call, and what CPS said is, we're so proud of you. <laughs> I was blown away. They said, because most parents that are put in this situation don't make this call. And guess what? Despite what you believe or you think, there's a misnomer out there. We don't want to take your kids. As long as you're taking responsibility and getting your kids healthy and in a good place, that's what we're looking for. That's why we take kids away from people because they're not doing as they're supposed to be doing. Man, I was blown away. I was, it was a weight lifted off my shoulders, off my wife's shoulders because we didn't know what was going to happen. So then we sold our business and we moved to Texas. And the reason for that was we had spent three years in Texas pastoring. And, and we have not family, but we would call them family. They're really friends. They're not blood family, but we'd call them family. And there was a place there for us, uh, the, uh, a particular lady that we knew to stay with and, and also a counselor there that deals specifically with this type of situation. And, and so we wanted to go there, and so we did. And in the process of all of this, we had already been considering whether or not we would plant a church because now time has gone by. We had been in Green Bay for three years at this point and so we we uh we we were in this limbo of what do we do next as we're going back into ministry are we going to plant a church and so then we made the move so we decided to move get our kids in counseling and then in the transition from moving from texas uh from green bay to texas right in the middle happens to be memphis tennessee and so we stopped there to see our family and we had dinner with pastor and uh, darla and they told us about victory church we had no clue at that point that they were planting a church and so he asked if we would come along and be a part of this journey. And we, at first, the first time we met, I joked, we joked about it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Because uh. we've always joked about being in ministry together, but, but it's never worked out. But then Erica and I went home that night and we talked and we said, hey, man, we should meet up again. And so we had dinner a second night. That was really just so we could hang out. But, but then we just talked about Victory Church. And so we had to leave and go deal with this. So we did. And we went to Texas. And then for an entire year, we lived in separate homes because of the requirement for the counseling that was taking place. So I lived in an apartment with my oldest son, and Erica lived with some friends of ours and our youngest two. And they all had to go to counseling, and uh, we had to take them, and we worked jobs. And in that moment, even though you started moving in the right direction and you had some moments of success and, and, and excitement when it comes to you know, how the uh, sheriff's office handled it and how CPS handles it. And uh, you get your business sold, which is good because that gave us the financial ability to move and to pay for counseling because Lord knows counseling can be expensive. And so we get there, they do the counseling. And also in that moment, guys, we didn't know how it was going to work out because as your kids are going to counseling, they have to put in the work to overcome. You can't do it for them. As much as you love them and you hug them and you encourage them and they have to be the ones to be willing to open up, to be able to move through the process. 
And so the most important thing that we could do was give our kids back to God. When this woman experienced this loss, this death of this promise, what she does is return what God had given her back to the man of God. What we found out, probably the biggest takeaway of all of this, was that no matter what God gives us, whether it's a job or it's a marriage or it's kids, whatever it is, we have very little, if any, control. And so it's our responsibility to trust God and to return it back to Him over and over again. God, these are your kids. So we begin to pray that prayer over them. God, these are your kids. You love them. You care for them more than we could. And so, God, I pray that you would move on their heart to, be, to feel like they're safe and that they can open up and that they can be honest. Lord, I pray for restoration. I pray for healing. I pray for their innocence to be restored. I pray for their minds and their hearts. And you just begin to return them over and over again back to God every single day. God, they're your kids. What is your situation? What are you dealing with? That you need to return back to God. God, this is your job. God, this is your marriage. God, this is your, you fill in the blank. Spent a year, as we were also contemplating planting a church or coming and being a part of Victory Church plant. Through that process, we committed ourselves here. And I'll let you know that when we moved here, that was probably the most exciting moment of our lives because we finally got to move back into the same house again. And now we have a house that everyone has their own room and it's, it's a big enough house that we can, they can be in one area and you not hear them. I mean, it's everything we had ever wanted as, you know, that's funny. Was, we do like hearing our kids, but the pastor doesn't like hearing his kids, but we like hearing our kids. <laughs> that's fair. My kids are older though, so let's be honest. <laughs> They're older. But, but just being able to be around them and to see them and their excitement and their joy is overwhelming. They play a huge role in setting up and tearing down and helping out in V-Kids and running lights and just to see where they are now and to see us be able to be back in ministry. God took us completely full circle, but not in a way we would ever had imagined. Right. And I'll tell you this, that we... We also really got something that I don't know if we would have got it outside of this, which was a closeness. It was a bond. It was a trust. If you were to ask our kids questions now about trust and how much they trust us and believe in us and, 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 and are willing to listen to what we have to say, it will be on a different level than you might see other kids. And it's because of the tightness that we had to have because of the struggle we were going through. But I don't want to... I don't want to say that we did anything amazing outside of trusting God. But I do want to challenge you in the way of unlocking that greater that's within you that's being held back from, from you seeing all that God has for you. Yeah. What is it that is holding you back? And I want to tell you that also that it starts with that conversation, a prayer. God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to help me in this. What move do you need to make in order to move yourself in that direction? For us to start out, the move was go to the sheriff's office, go to CPS. That was the first move. Second move, 
but to sell our business and move and be willing to move across the country for, for the counseling that the, our kids needed to receive. Our next move was making a decision where we were going to go as far as church plant. So there's moves that you need to make. What are the moves that you need to make? challenge you in that way pastor and give it back over to you do me a favor would you just kind of put your hands together for that <clears throat> it's one of those situations where we can read a bible story and because we don't know that person it's easy for us to overlook the power in a story brian said the the hit you don't see coming you guys ever been pursuing god doing everything you thought you were supposed to be doing and then get hit by that hit you didn't see coming? Could you imagine that moment for her when her child died? And I think it's important for us to recognize that the road to greater has both setbacks and real suffering. But often what we do is when we face struggle, we retreat and draw away and disconnect from the very thing we need the most. Can I tell you something this morning? God has a promise of greater for you, but your promise is not exempt from life's problems. I thought this was interesting. The Lord spoke it to me this morning. Because in verse 22, I'll show you what Brian was talking about. It's going to play a part into where we're going here. She has her child in her hands and the, and the child dies and she calls out to her husband and she says this, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. I thought this was interesting. She could have done a lot of things with her son. But I noticed two things. Number one, she says, so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And I thought those two things were the same thing. I'm going to go to the man of God quickly. I'm going to return to the man of God quickly. See what I mean? I thought they were two, I thought they were the same thing. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that she was going to go to the man of God quickly and she was going to return her promise to God. And then I felt the Lord speak this to me. At that moment, that lady was holding, this is for you and Erica right now, holding both her promise and her pain. Do you see? They weren't separate. She didn't have her promise over here and her pain over here because that's what we want, right? God, I want, I want your promise for greater over here and then I want all life struggles, hardships, and problems over here. Could you separate those for me? Thank you. And then when I get into the right seasons, I'll know what to do because when I'm in this season, I'll praise God. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you for greater. And then when I get in this season, I'll get angry at God. God says it doesn't work that way. When I'm going to give you greater, the greater promise is the pain. They go together. You guys know, in Jesus' road to the greatest moment that we'll ever know, which is the cross and the resurrection, it's the very standard that we build our faith in. On that road to that resurrection that then provides for us salvation, he had to face the greatest pain he would ever face, which was the crucifixion on the cross, am I right? 
And the Bible says before that happened, he went to pray. And then when he got done praying, he went into an olive grove. And he was surrounded by olive trees. And I thought this was real unique because Jesus doesn't ever, he two things. Number one, he doesn't ever stop teaching. Number two, he doesn't ever do anything on accident. There's not a verse in the Bible that doesn't have a purpose. And so Jesus took his disciples because not only did he know what he was about to do, but he knew what they were about to witness him do. So he took his disciples into an olive grove and he took them around the very thing that if you want it to preserve, if you want it to last long, if you want it to have its greatest value, you don't pick it and eat it. When's the last time you went to a restaurant and ordered a plate of olives? Doesn't happen that way. To get the greatest out of an olive, what do you do? Crush it. And when you crush it, you get the oil. And so as a result of the crushing comes its greatest value. In the moment of its greatest pain, it releases its greatest anointing. Jesus took them there for this reason. I want to put you around the very thing that I'm about to model. And I'm going to move into an avenue where I'm going to experience tragedy and crush and pain. But don't worry about me because though I am pressed, I am not crushed. When I'm pressed, that oil will come, that salvation oil, and it will be for a greater promise and a greater purpose. The pain God puts you in isn't, well, let me rephrase that. The pain that God allowed is not to break you, but to build you. What you'll go through will release the greatest anointing that's ever been released from you. For Erica and Brian, this is just the beginning. For their kids, this is just the beginning. The story already has an opportunity to impact lives. And it's not even that far removed. Stand with me for a moment, if you would. What what I'm wanting to really communicate to you this morning is that before we get too far in this principle of pursuing greater because God has greater for every one of us. You agree that? Agree with that? Greater in our families, greater in our finances, greater in our friends, greater in in our family, everything. But before we go any further, let's not get confused that that greater will come without pain because it's going to be the very pain that produces purpose and puts you in place to be able to operate in that greater. But the strategy for struggle is this, return. Our tendency is to withdraw. Am I wrong? Every time something happens, we want to withdraw from God. And God says, grab that promise and return to me. And here was one of my favorite parts. So she takes the boy and she goes in and lays the boy on Elijah's couch. And the Bible says that Elijah comes and lays on the boy hand to hand, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, lays on the boy. And the body begins to get warm. And he gets off and he walks and he prays and he prays. And he gets back on the boy hand to hand, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, and begins to pray. 
And the Bible says that all of a sudden he sneezes seven times. Shoo, shoo, shoo. And resurrected he is. Alive he is. And I, I felt God move us in this direction this morning. This is not something we always have the opportunity to do. But there's a sympathy in the touch of Elijah to the boy. And then I thought about this. Have you ever noticed that throughout the Bible, Jesus always touches what is broken? And I thought, you know what? As this story shared and as people start to really open up themselves, we don't take lightly what you've been through. We don't. But at the same time, we know it's not the end of your story. And so what we wanted to do this morning is allow you the opportunity to have somebody pray for you. So let me do this first before I explain. I've asked just a few people if they would come down this morning and offer a ministry of prayer. So I'm going to ask you if you guys would just go ahead and come down here to the front and get in place. This is not something you have to feel pressured to do. But when I read that about Elijah and I saw hand to hand and eye to eye, I thought about the sympathy in that moment. And I thought about the agreement, right? The agreement of someone touching you and saying, hey, what you went through is real. What you experienced happened. And we're going to pray through that because it's pain and it still hurts. And you may be at a moment where you don't really know what's going to happen or, or what. You, like Brian said, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. But the only real strategy is to return it to God. And we wanted to offer you that opportunity this morning. So a minute, I'm going to pray. And when I start praying, I just want to invite you. If you're here, and it may not even be, you may need prayer for something that has nothing to do with this sermon. That's fine as well. But I just thought it was important for us this morning to open up an opportunity for you to have somebody agree with you in prayer as you and your family are pursuing greater. And two things, watch. Either as you're pursuing greater, you've been facing pain, or there was something that happened before that has been preventing you from fully believing in greater from God. I'm going to share this and then I'll pray. I was studying, I was like reading it through and I thought, oh, he sneezed seven times. What's the significance? And there's so much significance in the theological world for that. But here's what I felt God tell me. Troy, when's the last time you put value in a sneeze? Never. The only thing I'm worried about is how I look when it happens, you know? <laughs> it's never fun. And then he said this, how valuable do you think it was to her in that moment? Don't you know that was the best sneeze she has ever heard in her life? And here's what God told me. The purpose of your pain is to switch perspective to see what's ordinary as greater. Lord, we thank you. You are so faithful. You touch the broken. You are our healer, our provider, and our protector. And God, you do have greater things for us, but our promise is not exempt from problems of life. 
And Lord, you never expected us to flow with those things by ourselves. And there are people in this place this morning that have become so enamored by the problem, the situation, or as Brian said, the hit they didn't see coming. And God, you orchestrated this entire message. I'm a believer that you orchestrated this entire series for this Sunday for people who want greater from you but cannot forget about the moment where they got their hopes up only to watch their promise die. And God, what we need is a moment of healing that comes from a sympathetic touch, hand-to-hand, and an eye-to-eye, and a time of prayer to return what we're going through back to you. And so, God, we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we pray that you would get all the honor and all of the glory in this moment for this situation. And it's in your name we pray.